verses will be on the screen tonight if you don't have a Bible with you. But we are going to begin back in Luke chapter 7, uh, where we started here just a moment ago. And we're looking forward to getting into uh, just the Holy Scripture tonight, getting into what we have to learn from Him. And the Bible tells us here again in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, Now when He had ended all His sayings in the audience of the people, He entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto Him was sick, ready to die. And when He heard of Jesus... He sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when, he, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus uh, went uh, with him, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter uh, under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. To another, he come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and, do, and he doeth this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto him, uh, said unto the people, I'm sorry, that followed him, he said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. I want to bring a thought to you this evening on this story here, on, on this event that happens in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth, of uncommon friendship. Uncommon friendship. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for the time to be together tonight. We pray that you would have your will and your way. And Lord, as we begin to highlight and look at your Holy Scriptures, the record of this marvelous event and the healing of the servant, of the centurion's uh, servant, we pray tonight, dear God, that you would intervene in a mighty way in our lives, that we may see this uncommon friendship, Father, that Jesus had with this centurion, someone that would have been opposite of where uh, he was, who he was by birth. But Father, let us employ this into our life, Lord, that we may see the victory as you see this day in this mighty record of Luke 7. So Father, I love you and I thank you and I ask you to bless every soul present with us tonight. In Jesus Christ's glorious and wonderful name, we ask these things. Amen. The uncommon friendship, guys. Uncommon friendship. Here we have a familiar account. Many of us have probably heard of this story. We've heard of this centurion. I, uh, I, I don't know what it is with me, but I'm always kind of biased when a centurion is involved in one of the stories of the events, one of the records. I, I lean toward that. I just I like reading about those centurions. I, I, we just finished preaching on four weeks on warrior, mentioned in Gideon. I, I enjoy that that battle. I like that warrior type of mentality. And, and uh, you know, a man's man, if you will, somebody who will stand in the gap and be counted for it rather than cower down to a, a peer pressure, a pressure of a certain society. And we find that Jesus Christ, Christ broke societal norms many times, sat down at the well with the woman of Samaria, which the Jews were to have no dealing with, yet Jesus Christ broke all of that, and we find an entire city saved and born again because of his stand that he took. Same thing that we see here. This centurion had sent the servants along the way. He did not feel he was worthy to come and speak unto the Savior. It is a familiar account of the centurion's son, servant being healed, and uh, really and truly a beautiful picture of faith. So much is so that the Lord says here, He says, I have not found, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And we read over that verse, we look at that, we, we read that statement because we want to get, we want to get, you know, past to the next story. We want to, we want to see what happens. The servant's healed, and then the next event that happens, and, 
we pass over the, the really and truly the only statement right now that is in the account where Jesus Christ emphasizes that this centurion had greater faith than anyone that he had seen in all of Israel. Think about the power that we find here in that statement. Now I understand the gravity of the situation. I mean, I want you to notice who came to Jesus asking for the centurion servant to be healed. It was the elders. It was the elders uh, of the Jews who came. And, and they came, and albeit they were sent by the centurion, but I want you to look back with me on the screen and notice the words you know, that they used when they were trying to get Jesus to come heal this servant. Notice this here in verses 4 through 6. It says, And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy, speaking of the centurion, that he was worthy of whom he should do this. In other words, they're saying, Hey, Jesus, listen, there's a centurion servant. You need to come heal this servant because he's worthy to, for you to do this. But notice what happens in verse 5. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Now, I don't know about you guys, but certain things begin to highlight when I read the scriptures. And I, again, we're so quick to read over these scriptures. We've heard the stories. We know them. And, and we read over them. And I begin to see here that they're saying, he's worthy for you to come and, and heal his servant. But then we find the reason they feel he's worthy, because he loves our nation. And because he built us a synagogue. Well, the Bible says in verse 6, Then Jesus went with them, and, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter into my roof. And guys, I may be wrong on this. I'll go ahead and throw this out there. But I did not read any love for the centurion or the servant by those who came and besought Jesus Christ to come and heal him. I didn't hear of any words of compassion. I didn't hear of any words of, of tenderness, of affection, of love. I didn't hear any of those words. Here's what I heard when I read it. The centurion's worthiness and his servant to be healed was justified because he loveth our nation. Oh, and he's built us a synagogue. I may be wrong. I'll throw that out. But I want you to see that with me tonight. And I just ask you a question. It's friend day. It's friend night. And this is what we're emphasizing. We're talking about an uncommon friendship. I mean, have you ever had friends like that in your life? They're there solely from what they can get out or from you. If you've ever had money in your life, I can guarantee you this, that you've had people in your life, they were there for one singular purpose, what they could get from you, what they could benefit from your life, not what they could put into your life or the life of others, what they can receive. Now, if it's not money, guys, uh, it's the same thing with other things. They will, there's many people in our life who will affix themselves with someone based upon ulterior motives. It is what they can gain. It has nothing to do with true friendship. And guys, in reality, I've made this statement before. I'll make it again and stand by. Those are parasites, if you will. Those are, those are things that take and never give. Those are the words that I see as you begin to highlight when with these elders coming and saying, listen, hey, he's worthy for you to do this, and this is why. He loves our nation. Not only does he love our nation, he built us a synagogue. It's what we've gotten from him that establishes the worthiness for you to come to us. Jesus Christ is not this kind of a friend, beloved. Jesus Christ does not find that friendship being rooted and grounded in this type of mentality. As a matter of fact, there is no deceit whatsoever found in this type of in, in true friendship. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter in chapter 2, verse 21, For even here in 2 were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. 
who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That word guile means deceit, that alternative motive. Jesus Christ had no deceit. He had no alternative motive in his words and his actions. He had a friendship, guys, that should be based upon respect and love and character, willingness to help in times of need, and simply to be there in other times. That's what true friendship is based upon. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 17, 17, it says a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 7, iron sharpeneth iron, probably one of the most well-known verses there are. Iron sharpeneth iron and uh, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. That's, that's one thing I believe that true friendship should do. It should make you sharper. It should cause you to work friendship that's there, that's built on a bond, it's built in the midst of adversity, someone that's going to have your back, if you will. In the 18th chapter of Proverbs, in verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that brother, that one that sticketh closer than the brother, that's Jesus Christ. Those are the steps that we need to follow. What we can do, how we can benefit a friendship. What we can do for our fellow man, our fellow woman, our fellow friends, our fellow neighbors. What can we do for them? When we begin to look in the midst of who and what Jesus Christ is. John 15, one of my favorite verses concerning friends. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. I mean, one can say the Lord had some uncommon friends throughout his earthly ministry. We know that to be true. One of those, we're going to hear Mark tonight, this centurion. I mean, during the days of Jesus' early earthly ministry, Israel was under Roman occupation, okay? I mean, the reality, the reality is this. The Jews hated Rome. And, and fair play, guys, I believe we can understand why. I mean, somebody comes in and takes away everything that you have and own, and now you essentially become you know, a bondservant to, to the government society, then you're going to hate them as well. That's just natural. That's normal. And yet we find the elders come on behalf of this Roman centurion's servant who is nigh unto death. And one could and probably should, if you will, question their intentions, but you can't question Jesus. You can't question why he went. His intentions were honorable. His intentions were pure. They were in the right direction. And that was to heal the young man and glorify the Father in heaven. The centurion was someone who was trustworthy and faithful. Was he a saved man? No. Did he, did he, had he made a profession of faith? We understand the, uh, the doctrinal issues and applications of this period in time. Jesus Christ had not died on the cross. He had resurrected from the grave. The church was not present. I understand that. When we look at it in a practical sense, he wasn't a saved man. He wasn't what we would know as a Christian or a religious man, if you will. But he did love the Jews. He did love Israel. He did love the nation. He did things for them. I mean, would Jesus suffer from being associated with this man? You better believe it. Oh, you better believe that they would use that against him. You, you better believe that the world would use that against him. I think of another uncommon friend was a wee little Zacchaeus, remember? This, you know, this, uh, this tax collector, he was a very wealthy man. He was a real short man. Climbed up in the tree to see that sycamore tree. He looked, and there's, he's looking for Jesus. Next thing you know, he's underneath him. He says, come on down here. I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. He goes to his house, and people murmured, saying, Jesus sits with sinners at their table. And he tells them plainly after... The rebuke from the religious that uh, those who need not a physician, you know, but he's come to heal those who do need a physician. And none of those things would matter to him. None of those things would affect Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was concerned only about the well-being and the care of the man's servant. And in the process, he was able to use such actions 
and the faith of this centurion to teach an invaluable lesson, not only to us today, but for all of those who follow him. He said this man here that positionally, historically, hereditarily, you hate, your enemy has greater faith than you all. So the first thing that we do see here with this centurion, the first thing we see, we see his friends as we're on that topic here tonight. Verse 6, the Bible says, Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Guys, it would have been easy for the Lord to cast off the idea of befriending a Roman leader. It would have been very easy to do that, even unjustified. Matter of fact, very little, if anyone would have thought anything negative toward him, by him saying, no, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. The soldier was trained in the way of the Roman Empire. And they were representatives of the way of the empire. They were there to divide and to conquer. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ looked past his position. He looked past his possessions. He looked past his power. And he simply looked at the person. A soul in need of a friend. A friend that will stick closer than a brother. I would say tonight that many of us have been in that situation or may not be in that situation right now. Maybe we are the one, the recipient, who just simply needs a friend in this life. Maybe we're the one who we just needs someone to come alongside to help us get through the day, get through the week, get through the month, get through the year. Maybe that's what we need to. On the other hand, maybe we're the ones who need to be someone's friend. Maybe we're the ones, you know, I mentioned earlier that a man that will have friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes we have a tendency to sit back and say, woe is me, I don't have any friends, nobody likes me, nobody loves me, pouty, pouty, pouty. Maybe we like to do that at times. At the end of the day, maybe the Lord's waiting on you to extend the right hand of fellowship to someone. If you want friends, you're going to have to be friendly. That's a no-brainer. If you don't want friends, don't be friendly. That's easy. People stay away from you. That's easy like that. I'm just here to say, we, the Lord looked past the fact that he was a Roman leader. Jesus Christ looked back, looked past the fact that he was a, let's just face it, a foreign invader, a representative of the empire, there to divide and conquer, ignored his positions, his possession, and his power, and he looked at him as a person. That's what a friend does. It's an uncommon friendship. It doesn't add up, not in society's eyes. But that's what a friend does. They look past all of those things and they see the person. I want you to notice the foundation here with this centurion. Love this guy, to be honest with you. Verse, the latter part of verse 6 says, The centurion sent the friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Watch this in verse 7 through 8. It says, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man uh, set under authority, having under me soldiers, and saying uh, unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. So guys, here's a man who understands authority. He understands what it takes to be an authority, and he also understands what it takes to be under authority. And beloved, if you can't be under authority, you'll never be in authority. It doesn't happen like that. Those who chase authority never, never, ever find it. I remember years ago, the, the man who trained me in business, we would, we'd 
practitioners would filter in and out of our office every now and then. Residents would come in, and, and there was always there was always the one guy who you know a practice across the state would offer him a you know you know a couple some change an hour you know per hour difference, and and he'd up and he'd move and he'd go all the way across the state and he would go somewhere else and and uh, he would get over there to this place and and, and he would make all he's make was fifty cents an hour more. And then he'd be there for 12 months, 18 months, and then he would leave and go to, and he was always chasing it, yet he would never find it. And I remember Steve, he and I sitting in the office. I had known Steve since, since I was 12. He was my dad's process, and I trained up underneath him and whatnot. Very, very diligent, very hard, uh, but, but made me the businessman that I needed to be. And he said, B, I'll tell you what, if you'll just stick it in and be faithful, if you'll just be concerned, if you'll just be faithful right now and know how to be under authority. You'll be able to hold your pocket out like this. You won't be able to keep it up. But you're not going to be in authority until you can be under it. Now, he had no idea that was a biblical principle at that present time. But it is. The foundation of this man's faith, the foundation that of when Jesus Christ gives him that particular recognition is because he was able to be under authority. And therefore, he was capable of being in authority. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 33, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, but and before honor is humility. Guys, we live in a world today, I mean, if we're honest with one another, people want honor. They want praise. They want to be singled out. They want to be that one that's, you know, got 40,000 million likes, views, thumbs up, whatever they're called today. I mean, it, it is mind-boggling to see the world where we are today. Everybody's pushing for that social recognition. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And all it is is a 15-second blitz and it's gone. That's it. Done and dusted. And move on to the next one. But guys, you're not going to get honor until you have humility in your life. That's what a friend is for. You know what a friend will do? A friend will keep you humble. But a friend will be humble with you. This centurion we find to have more capabilities and abilities in his life than Christ had found in all of Israel. And we see that because finally what we look at, and this is where I really want to emphasize, is we see his faith. We see his faith. I think I've missed one there. And we'll get back to that in a moment. It says in verse 9, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. So think about this now. The Lord is using a Gentile man. This is the beauty of it. He is using the most uncommon illustration that you could ever use to teach the people of Israel this is the kind of faith that you need. A man uh, who the majority of Jewry would, uh, would, would view as an enemy and a reproach against the nation, and yet the Lord is using him as a testimony of faith. In many ways, a testimony against the nation and against their heritage and against their tradition. Beloved, faith is the key. I've mentioned it before. Faith is the key which unlocks grace, the greatest gift ever granted to mankind. And this humble man in a position of power exercised the greatest level of faith. He recognized that he was unworthy of grace and he did not have the mentality of entitlement. Grace is unmerited favor with God. That's what it is. We don't do anything to receive His grace. We are just existing. That's how we receive. He, he chose to send Jesus Christ on this cro- on the cross 
to die for us, to be buried in the grave and rise again. That's the grace. You know what he could have done? He could have said, no, you're done. You messed up, you're finished. 6,000 years ago, when Adam transgressed, God could have said, well, sorry, nice knowing you, you're done. But he didn't do that, did he? He set an example of grace, the unmerited favor with God. Romans chapter 4 tells us this. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For they which are of the law, the heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which also, also which is of faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him uh, uh, whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. For those of you who might not know what verse 18 means, who against hope believed in hope. Abraham started out as Abram, which is a Gentile name in Haran. And God called him out. He said, take you, your family, get out of here, leave. I want you to know, I'm going to show you the land that I'm going to promise to generations to follow. And he leaves. Later on, his name was changed to Abraham, which is a Jewish name. His great-great-great-granddaddy was named Eber. That's where we get the word Hebrew from. And so that's the descendants that we find, the Hebrews. They don't become Jews until the circumcision was instilled. And they don't become Jews until the nation was established coming out of Egypt, which is many years later. I'm going to say all that to make this point tonight. Abraham was without hope in his life. Abraham had no hope whatsoever. As a matter of fact, Abraham's 99 years old. And the Lord shows up with two angels. They have a little meal together. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a son. And then that son, you're going to be a, you know, it's going to be the seed that's passed down. Now, mind you, Sarah, his wife, she's 90 years old at this time. What does she do? She laughed. She's in the other room cooking, and she laughed, and the Lord said, why is your wife laughing? Don't laugh. Don't laugh at me. I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you did. You laughed in your heart, and you knew it. There was no hope in someone 9 to 100 years old producing a child. Yet he believed God anyway. You see, guys, you look at this Roman centurion and this friendship that you would, we say that him and Jesus would have had. Just like Abraham was without hope, yet he believed by faith, and therefore grace was bestowed upon him, the same thing we find with this centurion. If anybody in all of that nation was without hope, it's a Roman centurion. They were paganists, they were pantheists, they worshipped a multiplicity of gods, all these different types of gods that they inherited when they uh, conquered uh, the, Grecian, the Grecian Empire. They took them and they changed their names and they worshipped those things. They did all of this and that. And yet here we find a man that says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my roof. Just say the word. And it's done. And Jesus Christ became a friend then to him. Because of his faith. Faith built upon a foundation through a friend. A friend, in this case, who sticketh closer than a brother. This uncommon friend that we find, John 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We know later on that this uncommon friendship 
this friendship with the Messiah, this friendship that this centurion believed with all of his heart that you didn't need to come to the house, you don't need to touch him, you don't need to kiss him, you don't need to hug on him, all you got to do is say the word, you don't even have to be in the same planet and my servant be healed. And that's the very thing that happened. It was all based upon a friendship and faith. So, beloved, I'm going to leave you with this thought tonight. Faith can do things in your life tonight nothing else can do. Faith tonight, and I'm not talking about, well, you just got to have faith. No, you don't. You got to have faith in a substance. You got to have faith in something that can do something for you. Matthew chapter 17 is very clear with that. You know, the disciples, they couldn't, they couldn't uh, cast out the devils there, and they're asking, you know, the people are asking Jesus why. When he begins to talk about this faith, faith has to be placed in something tangible. Hebrews chapter 1, or Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you see something, guys, there's no more faith. All right? Hebrews 11, 6, for without faith it's impossible to please him. Once you see it, it's done. There's no more faith needed. But tonight what we see with Jesus Christ, someone who had every right under the sun to ignore the centurion, he was justified to go nowhere. But because of his love, for that servant, because of his love for that human being, for that soul. He looked past who he was. And then he saw his faith that was exercised. So, beloved, think about it like this. Where's your faith tonight? Where's your friendship tonight? Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Salvation cometh by way of the word of God that testifies of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that alone. Outside of that right there, guys, outside of that particular faith, there is no hope tonight. And when we look at who and what we are this evening, without Jesus Christ, we are without hope. If we don't have him, we have nothing. So tonight your faith may be put to a test. Jesus Christ said, I haven't seen any kind of faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus Christ will later on go to the cross and he'll die for the sins of mankind. The Romans thought they had power. Pontius Pilate said, you know, know you not that I have the power to have you killed or set you free? He says, hey, you don't have any power. The only power you have is what's given for above. And he goes, if, if he has no man taketh my life, he says, I'm going to lay it down. And by the way, if I lay it down, I'm going to take it up again. So the gospel tonight is simply put, it's belief in faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for what he has done for you, the seed, for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. And it only takes that faith. A small amount of faith. I mentioned Matthew 17. He says, if you have a faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say unto this mountain, move God your hands and it'll be moved. And so many people illustrate that saying, you just got to have teeny little faith. And that's not what that means. Jesus Christ rebuked the disciples for having a little faith. You see, a mustard seed, or any seed for that matter, is of no good until it's taken and it's planted in the proper soil tonight. That's when it will render its power. My friend, tonight that proper soil is your faith being planted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That tonight is where you're going to find the greater love hath no man into this than a man lay down his life for his friends. Just what Jesus did for us. We need a friend who is Jesus Christ.
And once you believe that tonight, once you put your faith on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you go forward and you be a friend like Jesus Christ. That's what makes the difference in this world today. That's what produced an uncommon friendship. And my friend, that's what brings us to the foot of the cross and the throne of God Almighty. We bow your heads tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, dear Lord, for who and what you are, for all that you've done. We ask you now to please give us God's grace and mercy. Pray that your will will be done in our lives. And I pray that you take the, the message from the precious word of God this evening to make a wonderful difference. Touch and tender our hearts, dear Lord. Bring us ever so closer to you. And we'll give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You go and pray the preaching and teaching of the word of God. It's a blessing to your heart and your mind this morning.